0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'd like to begin by acknowledging and appreciating the talk that you just heard, which really emphasizes that animals and humans can get the same diseases, and yet physicians and veterinarians rarely consult with one another. And that human and non-human animal commonalities can be used to diagnose, treat, and heal patients of all species. And I also would like to acknowledge uh, that this comes, as Barbara pointed out, from a long lineage that goes back to Osler, And one of those steps along the way was one of our own here, Kurt Banushka, who unfortunately couldn't be here because of an illness, the founding director of CRESS and professor of pathology here, who really emphasized one medicine. So I'd like to flip the coin around. In science, there's always two sides to every coin and say, are there human-specific diseases? So what we've been hearing about is the evolutionary biology and diseases of a large variety of animals, mostly warm-blooded social animals, vertebrates, and you can see an entire lineage here. Let's zoom in on the group that we belong to, primates, and zoom in further. And among these primates, we have new-world monkeys, old-world monkeys, gibbons, various so-called great apes, and then us, humans. If we zoom in further here, we can see that uh, we shared common ancestors with orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, in just a very short time ago in evolutionary time. And here's another way to look at it. In millions of years before present, there's certainly some uh, discussion about the time frame, But a very important point to make here is that while we classified all these species as great apes, the mean difference between chimpanzees and bonobos uh, is less than 1% of the amino acid sequence level. In fact, we are closer to bonobos and chimpanzees than they are to gorillas. In fact, we are closer to chimpanzees than mice and rats are to each other. So really, the classification should be like this. We are hominids, and then among the hominids the lineage leading to us are hominins. So if you have a species that's 99% identical to us, the protein level, how could you possibly have anything that's different between them? And in fact, when I first got in this field, I found out that the veterinarians at the primate centers I went to were using Harrison's textbook of internal medicine, the same textbook I'd used. So that made sense. But if you want to say there's such a thing as a human-specific disease, it's got to be very common in humans... Rarely reported in closely related species, now this is very important, I'm zooming in on this clade, not about things that happen at distant portions of evolution, even in captivity, and could not be experimentally reproduced in such species, and I should warn you, I'm going to talk about a few really horrible experiments that have done a long time ago that will never be done again. So there's a caveat. Who do you compare with? In my opinion, reliable information is limited to data on a few thousand great apes in captivity which were cared for at NIH-funded facilities with full veterinary care, probably better medical care than most Americans get, and full necropsies. So this is a reasonable data set to compare with humans. I think comparing with wild chimpanzees and self-domesticated humans isn't that useful uh, in this question that we are trying to ask So when I went to the Yerkes Primate Center and other centers and asked and said, what's the commonest cause of death in captive adult chimpanzees? They said heart disease, heart attacks, heart failure. So I said, oh, it's the same thing. But then my wife, Nissi Varki, who's a pathologist, went to see what was going on. She came back and said, you fool, it's mostly a different disease. And so we got together with various experts across, including Kurt, and wrote this article that says heart disease is common in humans and chimpanzees, but it's mostly caused by different pathological processes. So in comparing these two species, amazingly it turns out that while we humans, essentially all of our heart attacks are due to what you heard about, atherosclerotic coronary blockade in the arteries. Chimpanzees do get atherosclerosis, but it rarely ever leads to coronary thrombosis. Instead, they get this very peculiar kind of scarring in the the myocardium, in the heart muscle, fibrosis so-called interstitial myocardial fibrosis in great apes. This gives rise to abnormal rhythms, heart failure, and heart attacks. So it looks like humans, but at autopsy it's a di- different disease. In fact, since we wrote this article and others put this out, it's become so well recognized that interstitial myocardia, myocardial fibrosis is such a major common in captive great apes in all the zoos that all the zoos led by uh, Zoo Atlanta have gotten together and formed a network to figure out What is this disease, and why is it killing all our great apes? And so there are two mysteries to be solved. One is, why do we humans not often get this fibrotic heart disease that's so common in closest evolutionary cousins? Conversely, why do great apes not often get the kind of heart disease we get that's so common in humans? Since we're genetically so similar, there must be a very limited number of reasons. You'd immediately say, oh, it's just cholesterol, In fact, cholesterol is the leading uh, thing that pushes atherosclerotic heart disease. But look at this figure here, and look at above is the black line. Chimpanzee levels of cholesterol, even at birth and soon after birth in the first decade, are so high that they should be on statins. And they have similar HDL levels. They have the APOE 4 ancestral allele, higher LPA levels, sedentary lifestyles, hypertension, and so on. Now, to be fair there are some amino acid differences in those two very important proteins, and that may be part of the story. So based on this kind of work, Nisi Varki and I went to several of these primate centers and tried to learn more about these biomedical differences. In this case, we're focusing on differences. I want to be clear, there are many similarities, which I'm not going to talk about. And so we, of course, work on sialic acid biology. That's another story for another day, but this article also talks about those differences. So here's a list of candidates for human-specific diseases that I call definite, meaning the data so far suggests that. Long list, obviously I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'll give you a few examples. The big one, of course, that I mentioned is this remarkable difference in the rates of coronary thrombosis versus interstitial myocardial fibrosis. In fact, spontaneous coronary thrombosis or atherosclerosis seems to be very rare in other animals in the absence of experimental genetic or dietary manipulations. And the human-specific mechanisms undoubtedly, as mentioned, have to do partly with behavioral and cha- dietary changes, although I'm looking forward to the talk from Mike Gerwin on this hunter-gatherer heart disease. These amino acid changes in these two proteins and something I'm not going to go into, a genetic change in uh, sialic acids that seems to have made our immune cells much more prone to inflammation and also contributes to the effects of red meat and heart attacks, but that's, of course, a specialized case. Here's another disease, malignant malaria, the big killer malaria. Horrible, horrible studies done in the 1920s and 1940s in the Belgian Congo. Two-way cross transfusions between chimpanzees and humans infected or non-infected with malaria. No evidence of cross infection. Turned out the parasites look the same but are different. Fast forward almost a century and work by Carter member Francisco Ayala and others showed that all the falciparum in the world, this killer malaria belongs to a very small clade in the midst of many, many, many other ape malarias. In fact, Barbara Hahn later showed that paraplasmonium fat probably arose by a single transfer from one gorilla to a human. Sometime, we don't know exactly when, a few tens of thousands of years ago. So Pascal Gagneau have summarized it like this. Ape malarias are very common, and because of the sialic acid change I'm not going to go into, we escaped uh, uh, the target, and we had a free ride for a million years or so, but the parasites always win in the end. And finally, the parasite in that one transfer switched to bind the human kind of sialic acid, and then, of course, we spread the mosquitoes and our environment, and the rest is history. Here's another one, typhoid fever, big killer throughout human history until very recently. And uh, it turns out there's been a host adaptation to humans, Again, most horrible studies done in the 1960s, large doses of salmonella typhi were given to to chimpanzees. Uh, Survival was much better, and they were much less sensitive. turns out we found an explanation for this. There's a human kind of sialic acid shown on this side of the screen, and the other side of the screen, GC is the chimpanzee type of sialic acid. And the typhoid toxin only binds to the human kind of sialic acid. And so... Using mouse models, we can sort of show that this is what's going on, that you have the sensitivity and resistance. Cholera. Robert Koch, the famous microbiologist, said, although these experiments are constantly repeated with material from fresh cholera cases, our mice remained healthy. We then made experiments on monkeys, cats, poultry, dogs, and other animals, and we were never able to arrive at anything similar to a cholera process. So far, there's no, nothing except a baby rabbit model. Of course, there's an explanation for this. Now, I've been talking mostly about infectious disease from Jared Diamond and others. And if you look in the bottom of the screen, you can see that certain diseases like rabies can spread throughout many animals. And then eventually, a disease makes its way into humans, and by what's called the red queen effect, becomes highly specialized on one species. And so some of this is not surprising, but the fact is there are such diseases. So there's one set of different definite diseases, though, that are kind of interesting. These are gonorrhea, various uh, other organisms that infect newborns, where it appears that what these bacteria have done is invent the human kind of sialic acid and coat themselves in what my colleague Victor Nizet calls uh, molecular mimicry. They're basically wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're very successful pathogens. Okay, so that's some examples. I haven't gone through all of them of human-specific diseases that seem to be human-specific. What about probable ones? Alzheimer's disease. Another Carter member, Tuck Finch, has written this commentary. Is Alzheimer's disease uniquely human? That Alzheimer's disease may be a human-specific disease was hypothesized in 1989. Apes accumulate considerably more amyloid plaques after 40, an age at which these are uncommon in humans. Despite this early plaque buildup, ape brains have not shown dystrophic neurites near plaques. Aging great ape brains also have few tangles. We cautiously cautiously support this hypothesis, and this is under further investigation. Carcinomas of epithelial origin. To date of these few thousand apes cared for in captivity, not a single case of carcinoma of esophagus, lung, stomach, pancreas, colon, uterus, ovary, or prostate. And so Nissi and I looked into this and concluded that while relative carcinoma risk is a likely difference between humans and chimpanzees and other apes, a more systematic survey is needed. Of course, age is a factor, not just environment. And so you'd say, well, a lot of these diseases we've been mentioning have to do with age. But in fact, Chimpanzees in captivity can live up to the age of 45, 50, occasionally even up to 60. And so they are in the age range. You're looking at the rates of human cancer here in human males and females, where you might expect to at least see a few carcinomas, a few heart attacks of the human kind, and a few early cases of Alzheimer's-like disease, but none have been seen. Possible examples. Another long list. And here we have what is called absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. We really don't know. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that bronchial asthma, uh, I've been looking for a case of bronchial asthma in a great ape, or for that matter, in a monkey. And this is, there's no papers about this, except there are papers like this. Here's a paper about. The asthma-like syndrome in a single monkey that says the present case is remarkable in that there's a paucity of reports of naturally occurring allergy, airway disease, in non-human primates. Now this could have to do with the hygiene hypothesis, other issues, remains to be seen. Anyway, to conclude, disease profiles of humans and chimpanzees are rather different considering how genetically similar we are. Chimpanzees, contrary to the original idea of of the NIH and health sciences are poor models of many human diseases and should not be used to model human diseases very often, if at all. Humans, conversely, are likely to be poor models of many chimpanzee diseases. So there are huge ethical issues here. Chimpanzees are sentient beings. I wouldn't do anything to a chimpanzee. I wouldn't do it to a human, and with even greater care than with humans. And back in 2005, Jim Moore, Pascal Gagne, and I wrote this ethics paper, which suggested that we conduct research on great apes following principles generally similar to those accepted for human research. And we even suggested that the researchers should volunteer to be subjects in the same studies. <laughs> Since I wrote this, I keep getting these, these, these uh, letters saying, please sign this document banning all future research on chimpanzees. And my answer is, that's a terrible idea. Would you ban all future research on humans? But unfortunately, that's what's happened. For other reasons, uh, really good reasons of getting chimpanzees out of not very good facilities and avoiding invasive research, the NI just threw up its hand and has stopped all chimpanzee research, practically speaking. And the question is, will the ban on chimpanzee research actually do more harm than good to both species? And I'll add a final corollary. Chimpanzees would benefit from more ethical studies of their own diseases. And I'm hoping that we can still keep this area of research open because I think it's important both for both humans and chimpanzees and the diseases that we both get. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.